Hi, everyone. It's the latest episode of Vox Tablet. We're the podcast of Tablet Magazine, and I'm your host, Sarah Ivry. Sukkot begins this week. It's a holiday that marks the end of the harvest season. And it's one of the very few holidays in which Jews give thanks for nature's bounty. Generally speaking, though, Jews don't celebrate nature unto itself. The reason is, of course, that doing so might look a little bit like idol worship, worshiping nature. So that got us at Tablet wondering, how do Jews who care about the environment and the threats posed to it reconcile that concern with their religious beliefs? Well, today we're talking to someone who's given quite a lot of thought to this question. Her name is Ivan Marzuk, and Ivan is the founder and executive director of Confena Sharim, a Jewish environmental organization based in Maryland. We're very pleased to have Yvonne speaking with us from her office in Silver Spring. Yvonne Marzuk, welcome to Vox Tablet. Thank you for having me. First off, uh, just to be clear, what does Confena Sharim actually mean? Confena Sharim literally means the wings of eagles. And what does the organization do exactly? Well, we look to see what the Torah says about the importance of protecting the environment. And we strive to create materials that help Jewish communities understand what the Torah says about how we can address today's environmental challenges. And we share those materials with Jewish communities, with synagogues and schools, and and with change agents, leaders in the Jewish community who are educating their Jewish communities to protect the environment. Well, how does a Jewish environmentalist differ from someone who's an environmentalist who happens to be Jewish? One of the things that I think is important about what makes a Jewish environmentalist different is really trying to look at the world as what is Jewish tradition teaching us. And um, in particular, we're trying to approach environmental issues from a very long-term perspective, like what do we need today and what do we need for the future? And we're also trying to approach with a perspective of What's the human purpose for being here? So what are, what are we supposed to do as human beings? What's our role in healing the world? Um, and that's a kind of looking at it from more of a holy perspective and sort of what our purpose is as people here in the world. It's interesting you use the phrase healing the world, which, of course, is tikkun olam. And very often, though, when you hear that phrase invoked, tikkun olam, you think of or I think of uh, people, helping people out, not necessarily a consideration of our natural surroundings. People oftentimes think about the environment as like, well, you know, the planet's going to survive no matter what, and people will be okay, and even if we have to go through kind of a rough time, you know, we've lived with the consequences of a depleted ozone layer, and, you know, even though there's more skin cancer, and even though there are, you know, some problems associated with it, you know, human beings will adapt, maybe the creatures will adapt, but what I think is missed when we talk about those kinds of things, and especially with some of the significant environmental challenges that we're facing as we move forward, is that when when you ignore those kinds of challenges and just think we'll adapt, we'll just deal with it, the way that we adapt and deal with it also includes um, a lot of people suffering. And we in America don't always experience that suffering. Sometimes we experience it. Sometimes we get incredibly upset that our cereal costs 10 cents more. Um, And that's the kind of, um, you know, increasing prices is something that I think um, environmental challenges definitely lead to. But I also think that there are people all around the world who are already suffering um, the results of the environmental damage that we've done. And if we continue to do this damage, we will see more people suffering as a result of our actions. And so I think that addressing environmental challenge is both 
um, important for us, for all of us, but it's also a justice issue for people all around the world to make sure that they have enough food and that their homes are protected and that they're not being washed away by increasing hurricanes or floods, um, as well as taking care of ourselves. Now, there are a lot of terms out there that get thrown around when we talk about the environment. There's environmentalism, sustainability, climate change, global warming. Uh, and some of these are red flags for many people, some of these terms. Uh, I wonder what terminology are you most comfortable with and why? So I really like to talk about sustainability and addressing the global sustainability challenge that we face. I recognize that climate change can be a controversial issue for some. It's not a controversial issue for me. I think it's very important. But I also recognize that there are even bigger issues than climate change that we're facing. The real issue that we're facing is that we're using our resources unsustainably. And we need to find ways to use them more sustainably, to use less, to use them responsibly, um, to use them efficiently, and to, and to create new energy energy resources and other kinds of resources so that we can have enough for today and for future generations. And that's the goal that I'm striving for. And I think that that transcends even climate change, which is one particular environmental challenge that we face. But there are other challenges. For example, we're, we're overfishing all of our oceans and we're using water in unsustainable ways. So there are really a lot of very important topics that need to be addressed at a global level. And that's why I think we have to address them at the level of values, um, at the level of sort of individual and communal inspiration. And that's why I like to kind of talk about it in this global sustainability challenge kind of way. Now, as I understand it, one of the target audiences of your work at Kumpfen Nesharim is the Orthodox community. Can you tell us a little bit, what are some of the advantages of doing sustainability work with the Orthodox community, but also what are some of the challenges? Let's start with the advantages, though. Well, I think the Kumpfen Nesharim was created partly in with the sense that we wanted to engage the Orthodox community on environmental issues. We felt like there were a lot of opportunities to do so, but that it needed to come from within the community. I'm Orthodox, and um, and the original founders of Confinisharim were all Orthodox. We were um, sort of distressed that we didn't see these issues being raised in the Orthodox community at the level that they should be, and we were familiar with the texts and really wanting to share them with the Orthodox community. And we really saw an opportunity. I think the Orthodox community is accustomed to making sacrifices for things that are part of our Jewish values, um, to not eating certain foods and not doing certain things on Shabbat and all kinds of things. And the Orthodox community one of the things I've been learning recently, um, one of the ways that movements grow is through social capital, the interconnections between people. And certainly the Orthodox community is very strong when it comes to a sense of community. So we really have an opportunity for people within the Orthodox community to learn and then educate each other. So those are some of the benefits. And I would say, um, you know, I think that the Orthodox community has not been as educated about environmental issues as some other parts of the Jewish community. And so we're trying to create an opportunity for Orthodox Jews to learn Torah materials and to um, and to come together on this issue and also to join with the rest of the Jewish community on protecting the environment. Would they... Would the Orthodox community not be receptive to arguments about trying to live in a more sustainable fashion that were derived from secular sources, just like science, for instance? I don't think that's true. I think that Orthodox Jews are not afraid of science. 
a lot of Orthodox Jews spend time learning about medical science issues. There are a lot of Orthodox Jews who are doctors or who are involved in a range of different scientific fields. Orthodox Jews don't have an aversion to science. But I do think that um, news that comes into the Orthodox community is sometimes peripheral to the community, whereas if something comes from within the community, the rabbi talks about it. It's in a local community group. It's organized by a synagogue or by the local school. It's just closer to someone's fear of concern. So that's it's an opportunity that we can provide. One area where it seems like sustainability and Jewish belief come into conflict is around the question of population growth. As Jews were told to be fruitful and multiply, but that flies in the face of the very real problem, which you've articulated yourself, of shrinking resources. Is this particular question part of the general conversation among Jewish environmentalists and among Orthodox Jewish environmentalists? Honestly, it's really not that much of a conversation in the Jewish environmental community. And I think that one reason that that's so is because the Jewish community is such a small percentage of the global community. So reducing the number of Jews would not solve our global population problem. And hopefully, if Jews are part of the solution, then we want to have Jews play that role and not be reducing our numbers. Um, one of the things that I know about this population issue is it has multiple pieces. And one piece has to do with the number of people, but another piece has to do with the number of resources that any individual person uses. And um, so one thing that we can all do to address environmental issues is to make sure that we use fewer resources, that we kind of lighten our load on the environment through actions like um, you know, buying more sustainable cars or maybe just choosing to ride the bus or or ride a bike. Um, and by, you know, saving water resources, there are a lot of things that we all can do to do that. And also, importantly, to teach our children to do that. Because um, we want to have children who are going to be partners in building a sustainable world, who understand um, how to use resources responsibly, who are not um, so caught up in the consumer lifestyle that they just want more and more and more things. Um, so that's our opportunity is to raise children who can be part of that solution. And so that's, I think, where the Jewish environmental movement, as I understand it, is currently um, the, our current perspective on that issue. Getting back to your work at Kampfei Nesharim, you provide materials to these communities, Orthodox and non-Orthodox communities, about how to be more environmentally conscious. But then what happens? Do they take some sort of action? Well, we have a program for change agents, individuals who are looking to educate their Jewish communities about protecting the environment. And um, we provide them with materials during different holidays across the Jewish year. Um, we talk about water on Sukkot. We talk about energy on Hanukkah, um, appreciating creation for Tu B'Shvat, um, reducing waste around Purim and around Passover, um, connecting to the land during the Omer and Shavuot. And we talk about... Um, how we relate to destruction during the three weeks um, leading up to Tisha B'Av, the destruction of the temple. So that's one kind of set of resources that we provide, and we also provide a set of um, a Torah teaching for every Torah portion of the year. And many of our materials are very learning-oriented, 
Because when you're starting with a community that doesn't yet have a lot of environmental momentum, I've actually found it more effective to start with that kind of learning than to start with environmental actions, which might not yet be popular in that community. Um, and if one can start with that kind of learning, then you're, you're rooting in the community an environmental commitment and a recognition that this is part of our Jewish values, part of our domain. And then oftentimes in that community, someone will say something like at a meeting that you might not even be at, that like, why don't we, why don't, why, recognizing that there's, that there's a mismatch between the kind of environmental learning we've been doing and the environmental actions that we're taking. Like, wow, we, we just did that program about Baltashlit not wasting, but we don't have a recycling system in our synagogue. Isn't that a little weird? Um, and so the the community itself will start to recognize that we're not living consistently with our Jewish values. And from there, environmental action starts to make a lot of sense. Can you tell us a little bit, Ivan, what are the teachings that you offer around Sukkot? Yeah, Sukkot is a holiday that um, where we have been focusing for a few years because it has so many different water teachings which are so compelling. And one of the things that I that I like about talking about water on Sukkot is that water is a topic that everyone understands is really important. And so in a community where the environment might not yet be a topic of conversation, water is a really great place to start. So um, the environmental story around Sukkot is this. So during temple times in the ancient times, during the holiday of Sukkot, there was this fabulous party um, called the Simchat Beit HaShueva, the rejoicing of the water drawing ceremony. And there in Jerusalem, they would do this this party and they would do water libations. They also did wine libations. Um, the rabbis would do all kinds of really interesting um, gymnastics and other kinds of things. It was this really great party. And um, what were they celebrating at this party? They were celebrating water. The importance of water, how precious water is. Water was a guest of honor at this party. And it's said that a person who never saw the Simchat Beit HaShueva, the rejoicing of the water drawing ceremony, has never seen real joy. And um, so that's why we call our Sukkot program True Joy Through Water. Because you wouldn't necessarily think that water, at least in our modern society, water is not the first thing that comes to mind that makes me happy. But the rabbis really understood the incredible preciousness of water. And maybe they understood that because they lived in the land of Israel where water was scarce and they lived in an agricultural way where they really understood how incredibly important water was. And um, at the end of Sukkot on Shemini Atzeret, we make a liturgical change um, in the traditional Jewish prayers um, to include mention of rain. Um, we don't actually ask for rain yet. So we have this uh, kind of series where first we celebrate water and then we mention rain. And then later on in the Jewish uh, liturgical year, there's a moment where we actually start asking for rain. So all of this is just sort of a process of hinting how much we like rain. And then at a later time, we, we actually ask God for rain. So um, we also learned that Sukkot is the time when we're judged for water. Um, so on Rosh Hashanah, obviously, we're, we're judged for our deeds um, and for what kind of year we're going to have. Um, other things are judged at other times of the year. But the judgment for water happens on Sukkot. So it's a it's a beautiful time for appreciating water, for reclaiming the Jewish appreciation for water and for all of our natural resources and um, understanding how precious those things are. And hopefully that appreciation will inspire us to relate differently to those resources. 
What's your connection to environmental issues? When and how did it become something of concern to you? You know, I spent a lot of time um, actually on the Jersey Shore when I was growing up, and I spent a lot of time enjoying the ocean and enjoying the sand and being on the beach. Those were very special early experiences for me. And I was very concerned about the environment when I was a teenager. Um, I was really involved in sort of Earth Day 1990, those kinds of things. Um, but for me, the most important change, I think, was um, when I when I graduated from college, I worked for a year for the Coalition on the Environment and Jewish Life. And that was really, for me, an opportunity to learn so much about the environmental challenges we face. How do you go, though, from ha- you know spending time on the Jersey Shore and having an appreciation of nature to having a kind of aha moment that there's a crisis? in the world? I think more than the experience of feeling that there was a crisis, I did come around to having the experience that there's a crisis to really being worried. Um, And I really do think that that happened as I learned about those environmental issues when I worked for the Coalition on the Environment and Jewish Life and learning how, how those issues were playing out in Washington and how they were playing out in individual communities. But I think for me, what really called me to do this work is not so much the sense of crisis as much as the sense of opportunity. Um, I've always been a person who really hoped that, wished and wanted Jews to be able to come together across all denominations and to work together on something that really, um, that can make a difference and that matters. And uh, I I organized a, a Jewish unity conference when I was in college, and um, and there was a session about the environment that I participated in, and I really heard in that, this moment, I was sitting there listening, trying to understand what we could all do, and I just heard this this moment where Jews from all different denominations and from all around the world were working together on this issue where the Jewish values were aligned and where we could be a light to the nations and also um, work together as a Jewish community on something that really mattered. And that's what really called me to do this work. It seems like one of the greatest challenges for environmentalists is fighting the sense that I think a lot of people have that anything that we do on an individual level is ultimately futile because who who is one person in the face of you know humongous companies and factories that are blowing out smoke and polluting rivers and so forth all over the world how do you overcome that sense of being overwhelmed and powerless well i think that's a really important question and um an important recognition the challenges are huge and it it feels like the difference that one person makes is so small but really our opportunity is to come together. And as Jews, we, we know how to come together, how to come together as a community, how to connect and um, and fight for something that matters. And sometimes I think about um, the Alabama bus boycotts and how the Jewish community played such an important role in the civil rights movement. And um, so we today are facing an equally great challenge, a challenge that relates to justice and a challenge that relates to, to health and to making sure that we can continue to live generation to generation as Jews and in a global society. Ivan Marzuk, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. Ivan Marzuk is the executive director of Kanfe Nisharim. She spoke to us from her office in Silver Spring, Maryland. You can find out more information about their work by going to our website, tabletmag.com. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivry. We wish you a happy and very green Sukkot. Chag Sameach. And we hope you'll join us again next week 